What's up? This is Joe Martino here, founder of Collective Evolution, and we got another episode of the Collective Evolution podcast here. Thank you so much for tuning in and for taking the time to explore, you know, some deeper aspects of whether it be consciousness, our world, whatever it may be. That's what we do here at the Collective Evolution podcast. And uh, today we got an interesting conversation. We're going to be happening or we're going to be doing. That's not, you know, it's going to be happening, but we're not going to be happening. I guess we're going to be happening. Depends on how you want to look at it. Or maybe I just screwed up and decided not to edit this part out. That's just what I do because it's authentic. That's it. That's all. Um, we're going to be talking with Ananda Moore. And I remember receiving an email saying, hey, check out this documentary. It's called Magic Pills. And it's all about homeopathy. And, and it kind of explores the subject in a really neutral lens and just, you know, looks at real life cases, looks at the science, looks at, you know, what naysayers say and looks at what people who are in support of it say. And that's what this documentary does. And I got to say, it was amazing. I was really, really impressed by it. And I, you know, had the opportunity to interview Ananda because she's from here, right in Toronto. And uh, it was like, yeah, we got to do this because one, not a lot of people know about some of the deeper aspects of homeopathy. Um, and number two, it's like the, the, I guess the conversation around it is either like, yeah, I totally believe in it and that's great. But, you know, when people say, yeah, but it's been debunked so many times, people usually go, well, I'm not, maybe it has. I don't really know how to talk about that. Right. So in this podcast, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into how, you know, the mainstream uh, science perspective has looked at um, homeopathy, how um, it has been sort of, I guess you could say, buried in a lot of cases and what kind of the approach was there. And we're going to kind of just kind of see what is this thing really all about. And this is going to come from knowledge that is very real, going around, traveling around, finding out what goes on in various areas of the world. How, what are the cases like? You know, what are people's actual experiences like with homeopathy? And that's what really this this documentary is about. And, and uh, I encourage you to watch it. It's called Magic Pills. Uh, right now, it's set up so that you can see um, public or community screenings, I should say. Um, later in 2019, they're going to have it available for just like straight up rent and all that sort of stuff that you can look at. But for now, you can kind of like get a couple friends together and, and sort of do a little screening if you want to. And um, it's really important stuff. And we're going to kind of get into the whole conversation about how this came to be, what this film's all about, and some of the deeper aspects to homeopathy, um, because it's important. It's important to dive into. So without further ado, let's get this thing started. So here we are, another episode, Collective Evolution Podcast. We're here with Ananda Moore. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I, uh, you know, when I, when I initially got the access to watch your film, Magic Pills, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, I've looked into homeopathy a bit. I know a bit about it. I don't know tons about it. You know, I, I get the, you know, sort of some of the underlying aspects of nanoparticles, of, of you know, ener energy, essentially, right? Well, that's more than most people get, so right. it's pretty cool. And, and, you know, on the flip side, a lot of people will say, you know, it's just sugar pills, right? So we're going to be talking about homeopathy today. We're going to be talking about the film. We're going to get into all that sort of stuff. But let's, let's start this. Let's like, let's get this from like the bare bones of like, a lot of people don't understand exactly what homeopathy is, right? Which is normal because it, in our society, it's like laughable, quote unquote, right? That's how people view it. And we're going to change that. So let's start with like a little bit about your journey into homeopathy, and then let's let's get clear on what it is. Okay, so I guess we can try to do both. Yeah. One fell swoop. Um, 
I first heard about homeopathy when I was in university, and I thought I was taking this really cool religious studies course called Witchcraft and the Occult. Mm. And um, so we were studying about all kinds of crazy practices and things that, you know, part of me always was interested in and really believed in, but we were looking at things from a skeptical perspective. And we worked, our textbook was called How to Think About Strange Things. I think I just got rid of it. I did a purge in my house and out went How to Think About <laughs> Strange Things, um, which was really a guide on being skeptical, Right. which I think there's nothing wrong with that. We need to uh, be genuinely skeptical and question everything today. Um, so critically think critical yeah. thinking absolutely yeah. so we learned you know I was totally into natural medicine even Reiki and acupuncture and loved like there was a Wiccan woman in our class and she was sharing her ceremonies with us and I was entranced and then they started teaching about homeopathy mm. and how these crazy people believe that you can take a substance, diluted and diluted and diluted until there's nothing there, and that somehow is going to cure people. And when you hear it that way, it just sounds like mm -hmm. bullshit. Can I swear here? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you wonder how people can be so stupid and so gullible that they spend all this money on on basically sugar pills or sugar or water. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty much convinced that it didn't work and I thought I knew what it was. Uh, and I graduated from university. I did my, um, you know, the year off and went off to India to ex explore the world and learn more about myself. And I was in this place called, uh, we were in Hampi and I got super sick. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling with this lovely German woman and her mom was a homeopath, so she was traveling with her homeopathic kit. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this place, I'm, yeah, like I woke up throwing up, wondering what the hell was wrong with me. And she came in and she's like, pulls out her little kit and offers me some remedies. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll try those. And so I took some little sugar pills, no idea what they were, probably arsenicum. And uh, 15 minutes later, I felt, fine and I got on with my day and I was I was a little bit impressed mm -hmm. and I was I opened my mind a little bit more to the idea but before we continue yeah. let's, let's let's go back to the symptoms a little bit so we can paint this picture a little oh, they're it's gross. like, <laughs> like you don't have to go into every detail but we're, we're I want to make sure it's like were you just having an episode of I puked or were you like you were feeling it, there was something like going on here. It, it was violently coming out both ends. Okay, so <laughs> probably the, the standard food poisoning or challenge that sometimes people yeah. will get when they first expose themselves yeah. to and I was a new environment. In this place, they call them camps, and they're like little kind of very rudimentary huts made of like twigs, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, and branches. And there's a little restaurant there, and we're all eating there. And tons of people woke up sick that morning. So right. I wasn't the only one who got food poisoning. Right. Obviously, something was wrong. And most people were sick for a few days. Right. And within, yeah, a really, really short period of time, I was up and about. And, and so in terms of day. improvement, like you stopped having stuff come out of your body yeah and you like did you feel like wow this was a like you felt back to normal or you were you know? no I felt back to normal which I think is a little atypical you don't 100% feel better that quickly often but yeah. it can happen and I've seen it happen lots of times okay um but yeah it was pretty instant it was really fast and I felt fine 
Yeah. I was like, oh. That's awesome. I'm good to go. And so it opened up my mind a little bit. And then I went and did a, not to sound too cheesy, but I went and did a Reiki course. And during that course, which is this like month long course, I started getting pictures and images of homeopathy and I should be a homeopath and homeopathy. Mm-hmm. And so I also went to see a homeopath. Yeah. And I had been struggling with depression for most of my life that I could remember up, up to that point. I was mm-hmm. in my 20s then. Um, and depression runs in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to see this homeopath and he gave me some pills. And within a few months, I was feeling a lot better. And I can say that hasn't really been an issue for a very long time now, mm-hmm. um, over 20 years. Nice. So I think that's where I had my real my real aha moment, mm-hmm. too. So then I decided to move to Toronto and study homeopathy. Nice. And where were you living before? I was. I went to school in Edmonton. Okay. And before that, I was in Calgary. Okay. And I was. I'd been traveling for years. Like I was on the road a lot. So West Centralish Canada is. is yeah. The, yeah. Do yeah. you miss it there? No. No. <laughs> I miss the mountains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, we were just having a conversation, Ruby and I, about like, you know how people always talk about it's such a beautiful place like in calgary and alberta or sorry uh, uh, bc alberta and bc mm-hmm. which they are you know but people haven't visited or northern ontario which if you've ever been is like a beautiful it's a really really beautiful place um anywho <laughs> let's go back to it i always have to get that in there because i get passionate yeah. about northern ontario uh see i've never been crazy far north like i yeah. want to go to like manitoulin and all those places oh that yeah I've seen. you go up there it gets like not mountainous, but almost like mountainous. Yeah. And waterfalls and like a lot of cool. St- it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> now you're getting you're getting into homeopathy. You're starting to feel like this is this is something that's you believe in mm-hmm. at this point, and you've obviously learned more about. And then you moved to Toronto, and you, you so you said you studied it. Yeah. So there's I went to school here and um, did a three year program full time yeah. program. And then I went to India, and home in India homeopathy is uh, very accepted. It's part of the medical system. They have proper medical homeopathic colleges. They have a lot of research facilities. They have hospitals. Um, so it's part of life, and it's very accepted part of life there. Mm-hmm. And so I went and studied at a homeopathic hospital there, and I preceptored with different homeopaths to just keep learning more. Nice, and so. Like, you know, what you described is almost like a cultural difference, too, that I guess would be over there. It's like it's not like here it's laughed at and there it would be like I have options and I can either go the, the, you know, modern medicine route, so to speak, or I could go the homeopathy route, um, which still is modern in its own ways. I mean, they're always advancing and learning and expanding upon the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there's different ways to look at it, but um, it. It, 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 oh, I guess the question would be, what is the sense there of what, you know, the success difference between the various different modalities? Like, do people openly understand that this does work pretty pretty well for everything? Most pe- I mean, there are a, there is a small group of people that I've encountered that are skeptical towards homeopathy. But for the most part, they even, I mean, in India, they created a ministry of altern- I'll call it alternative medicine. They call it Ayush, mm-hmm. and it's an acronym, and the H in Ayush stands for homeopathy. Mm. So it's a ministry of Indian medicine. Mm. Um, and that was created because they felt that under the Ministry of Health, 
um, not enough money was going into alternative medicine and they wanted to build that. So yeah, there is a different culture in India and there is, you know, that's what I love about India. It feels very magical. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that homeopathy is just, you know, quote unquote magic. Mm but I think they're more willing to try things that we don't understand. And what happens is they have positive experiences and they see it working and they see it working over and over and over again and they tell their friends and they turn their family and they send more and more people yeah. to to try it. Um, yeah, like, I, I mean, m- my experience homeopathy was more popular than Ayurveda in India, but mm. I think it depends where yeah. you are in India. Nice. Um, Okay, so let's let's get back into now. It's like we've talked about it. We got a little bit of stuff here. What? How exactly? You know, we talked about dilution, diluting it so there's nothing in it, and then all of a sudden that's supposed to help people. What? What's going what's on? What's going with on? Well, we're still trying to figure that out, and I know physicists and chemists who are working on it, and epidemiologists and immunologists. So there's a lot of there's a handful of people. There isn't a lot of money to research the stuff available. But there's some interesting things that are that we're starting to understand. Mm-hmm. But basically, not all homeopathy is completely diluted to the point of nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, we we you the the basic tenet of homeopathy is like cures like, and that's what homeopathy means. Right. Uh, homeo, which is like or similar, and pathy, which is pathology disease. So when you're giving someone a very small trigger an amount of something that would cause the symptoms they're having in a healthy person. Mm-hmm. So I always use the example of coffee because I think most people can wrap their head around that one. And we all know coffee makes you alert, gets your mind racing if you're trying to go to sleep, can keep you awake. Um, so for some people, it's a really good remedy to help them get to sleep. Um, so that's an example of how we use it. And we can use it in very low potencies, which means it hasn't gone through a lot of dilution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can use mother tinctures, which means it hasn't been diluted at all. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our remedies that we use in our daily practice are diluted past Avogadro's number, which is um, um, a constant number where by the p- point you get there, there should be nothing of the original substance left. Now, when they say nothing, are we talking about material or are yeah. we talking about that which cannot like are we getting down to the quantum at this point like no we're talking about material so material and what's strange is when they have looked at remedies under electron microscopes is that that is not the case they are finding nanoparticles of the original source material mm-hmm. in in the remedies right so so in essence there's still a signature there's still an energy there's still a yeah. knowing in the electron yeah that it was whatever touched by or influenced by a specific right so one of the ideas there's you know they're starting to combine the different philosophies so there is an electromagnetic field being created or maybe some other kind of field that we're not even aware yet which Mm -hmm. is quite possible um and there's nanoparticles being created because between the dilution this is a really important step we we succuss it which is you hit um, usually a glass vial yeah. really hard at least like around a hundred succussions and what we found is that causes for fractions of a second very high temperatures in those bottles it also causes the sloughing off of silica nanoparticles from the glass which we know is a conductor 
And then we've got these nanoparticles. And the idea is that maybe there's nanobubbles being formed. So the water is creating patterns based on that frequency. Mm -hmm. And um, those patterns start to propagate um, within the medicine or within the water. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so little we know about water. It's one of the great mysteries yeah. of the world. Um, and so there's a pretty good chance it's the water itself that's carrying the information. Yeah. And there's people doing work. Does it work through our cell receptors? Is it communicating with our mitochondria? Like, how is it communicating with our body to give us, to provide that information? We're, you know, we're not clear on that yeah. yet, or that information hasn't been published publicly so that we can freely express it. Yeah. Right. So in terms of um, how it then gets into what they call a sugar pill. Right. Which I know when you take it, like, you know, the process is you're not really supposed to touch anything. It's all, you know, the containers allow for almost like you could yeah, twist one out. Yeah, there's this whole ritual can, to right. taking the pill. I and wonder if that adds to, like, like the, the process. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think there's like I think placebo effect, yep. you know, is part of any form of medicine. Absolutely. I think the consultative effect is also part of it. But we have a lot of research and evidence on, you know, plants and cell lines and um, animals and babies where there shouldn't be a placebo effect. Right. So I think it's a combination of all of it working together. Mm. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we say that you can, I guess the idea is that you can either contaminate the pellet or you mm -hmm. dose yourself by touching the pellet. So you're right. dosing yourself multiple times. Right. Um, but I've had people grab them. <laughs> <laughs> not knowing and it still yeah. works yeah it still works fine yeah. so so let's let's get into uh you know at some point you were inspired to make a film about this which before we started this you were talking about you feel like you're still working on the film and and it's and it's still going and, and i think you said seven years um that it's been sort of since i guess the inception of the idea yeah why why, why did you want to make a film oh there's so many answers to this but <laughs> i was feeling like the mainstream media was only showing one perspective mm -hmm. and even alternative media or you know really left-wing media that i listened to and trusted and believed in was not even either talking about it it didn't exist mm -hmm. or had a very biased perspective and built this narrative around how stupid mm -hmm. homeopathy is and how ridiculous yeah. so i felt at that point that how like I was trying to figure out ways to reach large amounts of people mm. and that was the, the oh, <laughs> idea that just fell into my lap <laughs> yeah just make a film and, yeah. and, and you know I, I mean I know from from making a couple of myself it's like it, it, it always ends up being more than you initially expected and envisioned and even when you think it's going to be a big project it's always a bigger project and, and, and all that but you know in the film you you traveled around you went you know to different countries you followed various people around you know you really looked into this thing and there were so many fascinating aspects to it um but like i i, I kind of want to center back to some of the i guess the skepticism for a second i mean you know in the film you, you interviewed a, a specific individual who said, you know, many, many, many times over. I don't know why. And, and it was funny. The way he said it to me was like, duh, so to speak, like in this in sense that he should be like having an aha moment here. And he was going, you know, all these different things. And he was listing off things that had been like people believed in 
and then they stopped believing in. Um, so it's like over time. So it's like, you know, people used to think, oh, if you like ate liver, it would heal your liver. And he would go through all these examples. And he's like, in homeopathy, people were believing it. And they still somehow it has it has managed to make its way through the test of time. And it's like, well, yeah, because it works like, you know, it's like, do you think people would still be doing it for this mm-hmm. long if it didn't work? And so where does this come from when people say it's been debunked many times over? Where does this come from? Um, you want my conspiracy theory perspective <laughs> I <want laughs> that I'm not whatever, supposed to share? <laughs> whatever you openly believe in can share yeah. under your, you um, know. Well, I think homeopathy is, since its inception, since Hahnemann, who's the founder of homeopathy, started, he kind of left us with um, a history of battling the uh, what we call allopathic medical system. Mm-hmm. So when he started, he started uh, feeling that the pharmacists weren't actually making his remedies um, as per as how they should be making them. Mm-hmm. And he tested a few times a few of the pharmacies. He'd make up fake prescriptions that, of things that didn't exist. And he'd send the person off to the pharmacy and they'd leave with their prescription filled. And he started wondering, like, he stopped trusting the pharmacies. Right. And he decided to make his own remedies and encouraged all the homeopaths to make their own remedies. And this this is where, you know, this battle started between homeopathy and allopathy in a way that we haven't seen with other forms of natural medicine, I right. think. And that just continued. Like, he got kicked out of different cities. He moved to different counties to keep practicing. Um, because he was creating, like, he wanted to separate himself completely from the allopathic stream. He didn't trust them. He didn't trust the pharmacists. And so that meant that they were losing uh, money, (laughs) basically. And I think that's just continued. Um, There's been, I think, fairly recent renewed intense attack against homeopathy over the last Mm -hmm. few years. And one of my ideas, or one of the reasons... I think it may be happening has to do with something called homeoprophylaxis, mm. which is preventing disease using homeopathy. And it has a very long history of like since Hahnemann's time where he was uh, preventing scarlet fever with a remedy called belladonna. Mm-hmm. And governments around the world started to use this yeah. with a lot of success. Yeah. So in the film, we talk, I talk about what they did in Cuba with leptospirosis. Yeah. Uh, where they stopped the epidemic in two weeks, but they've also done, like, their biggest uh, intervention was influenza, was when H1N1 came out. Yep. And that was 9 million people who took part in that. So there's very large-scale real-world interventions. Brazil also with uh, Japanese encephalitis, sorry, meningitis B, meningococcal meningitis B. Uh, India did a huge campaign with Japanese encephalitis with 20 million children in Andhra Pradesh getting homeoprophylaxis every year Mm -hmm. Um, and they were successful their epidemiological statistics show that these diseases the numbers and incidences all went down dramatically Mm -hmm. and that's a huge threat to the pharmaceutical industry right because essentially what what you're saying is it's a it's another form of quote-unquote vaccination yeah we'll call it immunization yes and I, i i can't legally say that homeopathy is an alternative to immunization yeah but I can show examples where countries have used it, also particularly in cases where the vaccine wasn't available mm-hmm. and there were no other options. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I recall, and, I, and I, I don't remember the exact stat, statistic, but um, 
um, there was a, an, an effective efficacy number that was given, I believe uh, the, the one doctor here um, from Toronto um, was interviewed. He, he talks about, um, he's a, a homeopathy, homeopathy doctor, and he was talking specifically about um, using this form of immunization and the success rate. Right. I think it was somewhere in the 90s. So that's Isaac Golden. He's actually Australian. Oh, okay. And okay. he happened to be in Toronto. In Toronto. <laughs> there you he go. He was teaching a course here. And by sheer coincidence, Marketplace had sent him an email asking him if they would, if they could interview him. Yeah. And he foolishly said yes. And I warned him not to do it. Yeah. Um, but he ended up saying yes, he could handle the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as long as that I could come in with my cameras and film right. the interviews. Which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But they, all the CBC people refused to sign the release forms so that I could show them. What so, actually happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I couldn't show them, like the producer specifically or the cameraman. So yeah. um, we see the back of her head. You can't identify her. Um, but we could show everything he said. said. Yeah. Uh, Did you get a sense during the interview that they were trying to go a specific route? Like, was it obvious that they were pushing for it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they, when you see the final product, the Marketplace episode, they totally take him out of context. They make him say things he never actually said. Yeah. Which was, you know, you think of CBC as independent media that you can believe in and part of our democratic system in Canada. Yeah. And it just... Yeah. shows you that it isn't always the case. Yeah, I think I, sometimes I, they do good work and a lot of the time they don't. And, mm -hmm. um, and they're subsidized in part by the government as well, Yeah, which is interesting. In a big part, yeah. they're subsidized by so, the government. That's part of our democratic yeah. system to have independent press that isn't affiliated with any corporate interests. Right, right. yeah. And, and, but, but yet they have government interests which have corporate interests. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way of sneaking it around, yeah. sort of like water fluoridation. It's a way of... It's a way of, uh, it's okay, it's okay. It's a way of sort of sneaking, sneaking uh, a toxic waste uh, chemical into the environment without actually having to pay for it until yeah. they invented water fluoridation. Exactly. But, um, okay, so let's go back to this. And he was so, talking about how effective it is. So Isaac did, you know, his own small study um, with a few thousand individuals, and it was part of his PhD work yeah. in Australia. Um, so, and he was being... Uh, supervised by you know ver like very well respected epidemiologists and he he did a study comparing kids who were vaccinated kids who weren't vaccinated um, kids who had like constitutional naturopathic and homeopathic care and kids who went through this protocol of homeoprophylaxis and it's interesting like the kids who got the homeoprophylaxis according to his work and his numbers were as protected as the kids who got the vaccinations mm -hmm. but they didn't have the same number of chronic illnesses yeah. and actually in his study the chronic illness was lowest in the group that got the homeoprophylaxis mm -hmm. um, and he looked at things like eczema and allergies and you know those kinds of inflammatory chronic conditions mm -hmm. um, it's one study yeah so and it's ongoing, but it's also uh, an observational study where you're looking back. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it's not particularly strong evidence. Yeah. But um, based on his protocols, Cuba did the work they did, 
And I think that's particularly strong evidence. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and that's, and this is why, you know, again, I encourage people to watch the film because it's like, for me, you know, you, you watching the film and it's like, okay, we're seeing, we're seeing, uh, I, I already resonate with this stuff, right? And, and so, you know, I, I'm looking at it, but I'm like, I have a critical mind. We're, we're in media. I understand that, you know, we've watched what mainstream and a lot of alternative media has done in the world in general. There's a lot of bias there. Bias doesn't lead us anywhere when we report on things that way, right? So I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, but we still need to see, you know, what's going on. Like I, I understand, you know, energy medicine and I understand how these things can function, right? And I've looked into so much research and all this stuff. When I started seeing the Cuba results, and, you know, here's just people coming together with passion, you know, creating stuff and then delivering it to as many people as they possibly can. And then you see the numbers after and you're just like, why did they shut this program down? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> right. And, you know, even in, in Africa, seeing the success of, of, you know, treating people with HIV AIDS and it's like, OK, and it's still not legal. So homeopathy was legal at that time when I was filming in Africa. It yeah. was encouraged people were happy with it they're working in conjunction with hospitals um i interviewed the director of the hospital who when he saw what was going on with these guys went and studied homeopathy himself he's right. a medical doctor uh and you saw that all the doctors there was no they weren't feeling threatened they felt that this was a system they could work hand in hand with, with for yeah. the for the betterment of their patients and then what I understand is a new president came into power and that president, like under external pressure, um, has not made the remedies themselves legal. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of loophole where homeopathy is acknowledged as a proper form of medicine, but the medicines themselves can't, can't be. technically be used. Right. So does that mean like they can't be sold or does that mean like... I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't yeah. know. They're still working there. They've closed their main clinic down. Um but like they had a brick and mortar place and now instead they're just seeing people at all these yeah. different community clinics um but i don't like there's not a lot of people going trying to stop them i mm -hmm. think they're doing really good work and they're going to places where there's no other form of medical care available yeah so yeah um, yeah so you know here though when you're when you practice here in toronto and and you know we were talking about this a little bit before too it's like eh, do people come in skeptical? Do they come in, you know, being open to it? Like, how does how it's that like? Uh, when I started practicing in Toronto, no one knew what it was, and they came in our office thinking we were naturopaths. Okay. Um, or some, we got a lot of people from other parts of the world who know homeopathy, like Mexicans. I got a whole slew of Mexicans. They grow up with homeopathy. It's very common. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of Latin America uses a lot of homeopathy. Yeah. So people either came in knowing what it was or thinking I was a naturopath and getting mm -hmm. confused. Now, I think it's changed. People come in, they know what homeopathy is. They're looking specifically for a homeopath. Um, so there's more awareness. And I don't know if all this negative media has helped us in this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like, and when I get people who are skeptical, it's because their uh, their partner is forcing them to come. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's like, hey, come, this is going to work, this is going to work. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you, you get patients that, you know, they come in and they're like, so how are your headaches? What headaches? I never had any headaches. Um, 
says here you had headaches. No, the remedy didn't work. I never had any headaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. talked for 20 minutes about your headache. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think it matters if someone's skeptical to the treatment. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of people like to say, well, you need to believe in it for mm-hmm. it to work. I mm-hmm. believe in it so it works. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I always think there's there's more to it than just your your initial thoughts, right? I mean, that plays a part and it can help enhance things, but there's so much more to it. And, and that's even a whole subject of, of how consciousness creates reality that, yeah. you know, I think we're being asked to go a lot deeper on than we commonly hear people say like oh your thoughts create reality well sort of Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a lot more to that equation and it's not that simple and that takes me back to your question about why don't why are these skeptics having so much trouble with this i think a lot of them are very materialist yes in their perspectives and what's interesting is when i was out filming and interviewing people and i asked who are these skeptics all of them said oh they're atheists Uh uh-huh i was like so they're atheists what does that have to do with anything but what that meant is that they're materialists and Uh they're not willing to consider that there's anything outside of of basic chemistry in the material world we live in and when you suddenly show them this research that says homeopathy works that's pointing to something else that they just can't wrap their heads around and it destroys their foundation on which they stand and they can't have that so your instant response is to stand up against it and say that's not possible that can't be yeah and and you know it's interesting because i mean you're familiar with the heart math institute yes <laughs> i have to think about it yeah so they they like um in particular and i'll use this example because you know they're they're they, they do really good work and they do it in a way that's very scientifically rigorous and um you know one of their their biggest findings over you know the past while that they continue to do work on that they continue to show is there's a magnetic field in essence that the heart will emit right and it it speaks to the brain and it speaks to other people's heart and and you can feel and sense and understand and, it, and it's intelligent there's an intuitive intelligence mm-hmm. within the heart via this magnetic field and so here's something that's non-material that there's a ton of evidence for that you know really helps to illustrate a, a connection or relationship that we have with one another via an invisible, what some people in the spiritual community will call an aura, right, in a sense. And it's not to overcome or it's not to confuse it with different ways, but some people might call it that, right? But really it's a magnetic field. And so it's like, here it is. Now, what are these, you know, scientists when they see that work, this published science, this stuff going on, like, what do they do? Like that one particular gentleman who's sitting at his desk in the film and he, he, he's got all the ducks around him because he likes to point out the quacks. Like, you know, what do they do when they see this stuff? And it's like, this is here. This is real. Yeah. Like, So they have to dig in and figure out how that study is faulty. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a single study on the planet that is bulletproof. Uh-huh. Like they're not perfect. Right. And so you can break apart any study. And so that's what they try to do. They try to nitpick and find the little details that could maybe invalidate the study. Um, or they just start saying that, or, they, or what they do is instead of discrediting the work itself is they go after the individual, the individual and yeah. they'll discredit the individual and they call them crazy and yeah. um, they'll find different ways to to make them look foolish even if it's not based on truth Mm -hmm. so um again just going back to the one gentleman i mean he really felt like he was doing good work to 
I think he does, but you also have to look where. So his name's Joe Schwartz. Yeah. And he uh, he's from Montreal and he works at McGill and uh-huh. he runs a skeptic association there. And the skeptic group is funded by the Trottier Foundation. And Trottier sits on the board of a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. and made his fortune on cell phone technology. So you'll see these fantastic videos. And Joe Schwartz is all over the internet. He's got, he writes regularly for the Montreal Gazette. He's written a bunch of books. He's very popular. And you'll see, like, I came across this video where he's talking about how, you know, cell phones don't cause brain tumors or the risk is so minimal that it's not worth considering. And you think about where his money's coming from to fund his organization. I think he believes in the work he he does. I think he is... um, genuine but yeah. you know i think there's something to be said about who he's looking for funding from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but he's also very ignorant like he touts himself as an expert on homeopathy he understands what it is he's looked at the research and every study that i brought to his attention he was unfamiliar with and he just mm. would say oh that's impossible it can't be true and that was his automatic response. response and it didn't go much further he wasn't like you know i'd be happy to look into that or i'd be it was just no, so, for true. example, I asked him about the work in Cuba, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, it's a no-sode, and no-sodes are remedies made from bacteria or viruses, so it's possible that if you've diluted it to a certain point that you're giving people a little bit of that virus or bacteria, so you're actually inoculating them in a, in a material way. And I said, but they were using potencies of 200C and 10M, which are very high potencies. Yeah. He goes, oh, that's impossible then. Yeah, no. And that was it. That's where it ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, so it, you can't even have an intelligent discussion and, with them. And I think this is the challenge. And, and you know, you kind of went back to it when you said um, we were kind of getting into the immunization sort of thing. And you talked about press. And there was all these, you know, it's been, it's been difficult because there's almost like this war out against whether it's naturopaths, whether it's homeopathy, uh, whether it's uh, people doing any form of alternative treatment in general. It's like there's this attack and it almost seems to be ever since the the vaccine debate and i know we can't talk too much about some of this stuff but um just legally for for yourself but it's, it's kind of like there's there's there seems to be a relationship between press and the way press is informed um and pharmaceutical companies and you know modern medicine that is convincing people that you know this stuff is is not real and it's a big joke and the more passion, the more excitement that people have, and the more they see for themselves these various things that are actually happening, the greater the attacks from the other side is getting. And it's getting really, really bad right now. Um, The FDA, for example, put out a draft uh, document to amend how they look at homeopathy. And Mm -hmm. homeopathy has been Basically, it's just been outside of regulation technically, but it's been approved and was grandfathered into the FDA since the inception of the FDA. And part of that was because the senator who introduced the bill to create the FDA was, in fact, a homeopath. (laughs) So there's a huge history of homeopathy in the U.S. Presidents used to use it. We had homeopathic hospitals. Like, there's still a hospital in Philadelphia called the Hahnemann Hospital. It's a huge hospital. Um, there's a memorial to Hahnemann in Washington, D.C., mm. erected by a president. Yeah. So there's this huge history. And now suddenly the FDA is saying, mm, I think we're going to use a risk-based assessment. But basically, homeopathic remedies haven't gone through the new drug 
process of approval so they're illegal. Yeah. Um, and this new drug process, it's when it's hard for homeopathy to pass the kind of research that they think it, that they want to see because homeopathy is individualized and we don't use a remedy for a pathology right. generally. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a unique person's uh, whole expression experience. of their yeah. symptoms. And you might have like 10 good remedies for specific pathology, but different people are going to need different ones. Right. So it's very hard to research it in the way that the FDA wants to see the studies. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at like $300 million per remedy, per pathology. Yeah. And the homeopathic industry does not have that kind of money. And we've got thousands of homeopathic remedies. So you're looking at, you know, in the long run, they're setting themselves up to shut down homeopathy. Right. Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, because it's like when you look at, so again, the way the business of it functions, when we talk about regulation, it's like, oh, yeah, wait, regulation is important. I understand why we need it. And that's an average consumer response, right? It's like, yeah, I know. But if we don't have regulation, then any old quack can make something. And it's like, yeah, well, okay, I get that. But let's also think of it from the other perspective. It's like the pharmaceutical industry loves one-size-fits-all drugs. They love, okay, you have a symptom, here it is, you know, because yeah. they can produce tons of it. And that doesn't even work in, no. in conventional <laughs> oh. medicine, but that's, that's what they're doing. That's right, but that's what they're doing. And so this is like, here we, you know, through tax dollars and so forth, we're funding these organizations to then make these decisions that actually harm our health. And every time that there's people out there that are actually saying, hey, let's, I want to sit down with you. I want to deeply understand what you have going on as an individual, you, right? And they're saying, no, that's not the right way to do it. <laughs> You know, and this is a scary thing in a sense because, and in, in, in not real fear, but it's like just really thinking about it. Like, is that the world we want to live in? Is that what we want to support, mm -hmm. right? And so, when when they say this draft document to, to in essence sort of like make homeopathy illegal, like what's the what's the current status on this? So they've put out a, a document stating that we're thinking about kind of doing right. this. So they put out the document. They set out a time period for comments, and um, comments were supposed to close, but a fantastic group of women, um, moms who were not homeopaths, but like yeah. used homeopathy in their lives, came together, created an organization called Americans for Homeopathy Choice, and they started meeting with the FDA, they went to Washington, D.C., and they started meeting with senators and congressmen and, you know, talked to them about what was going on. And the issue isn't just does homeopathy work or not, because basically it's non-toxic. Mm -hmm. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, the question is, do we have a right to choose what kind of medicine we think is right for us and how we want to treat our own bodies? Absolutely. And um, so it, it becomes a democratic like a, an issue of freedoms, yeah. not of democracy, but of freedoms. And um, I think that's a really important issue in the States. Yes. So there was enough pressure on the FDA to extend the comment period. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so Americans for Homeopathy Choice uh, followed up with a petition. And uh, these kinds of petitions uh, kind of stall the process mm. so that... Uh, the FDA can't move forward until they've addressed the issues within the petition. Right. So now they're asking for people in the states to comment, send their comments to the FDA about the petition. And if um, you go to their website, which is homeopathychoice.org, I believe. But if you look up Americans for Homeopathy Choice, you'll find them. And they'll walk you through how, how to, to send it. in your comments, what the petition says. 
But basically, up until this point, uh, for the last, I don't know, I think it's like 20 years, don't quote me on the number there, but the FDA has had policies uh, around homeopathy, and there's a policy called the CPG 400.400 that basically states out, you know, that homeopathy remedies do have to be manufactured to a certain level of quality as per like the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the states. So it creates a standard of quality and you know that what you're buying at the store is actually what it says it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I think think they're getting rid of all of that. Like they're getting rid of any quality standards with Mm. this new draft guidance document. Mm. So that's part of their petition and yep. wanting to go back to to those things and basically safeguarding the right to access yeah. homeopathy. Yeah. And so did, and I, and I would love to look into this, um, yeah. but off the top of your mind, do you know if like there was a lot of, I guess, mainstream press coverage about this group and what they were doing and working on? No. No, very no, little. I haven't seen anything in the mainstream. We've seen stuff on, you know, alternative media. Yeah, because I hadn't even heard of, of yeah. this. Yeah, right, like she myself. was on Jenny McCarthy's show and yeah. Del Big Tree, and you know, we've been pushing a lot um, online. But no, there's nothing yeah. in mainstream nothing. media about it. Yeah, and if they did, it would probably be a bunch of quacks are trying to, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so and you do speak. see the occasional thing of, of like, yes, this is what the FDA should be doing. We should be stopping this garbage medicine that doesn't yeah. work and is luring people away and making them spend lots of money. And you think about the states and how much money people are spending on conventional treatments. Yeah. And you're offering them a homeopathic remedy for $8. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. yeah. I, I remember in the in the film they were saying that um, to treat a, in India a serious disease like a cancer, maybe like a hundred bucks a year, so yeah. to speak. And it's like, I'm, I'm, when I heard that, right, and I'm, I'm going through, and I'm thinking, at the same time in Africa, where they were uh, distributing um, uh, patients one on one, I was thinking, I I don't remember if it covered it because I, I don't recall hearing it, but they didn't say whether or not they're paying for it or whether or not the people are are giving it. But either way, it seemed like. It was almost a moot point. This stuff is so inexpensive that it could freely be given to people if need be. Yeah. Like the Cubans to make their remedies cost them five cents a dose. Uh-huh. Um, where you think about the cost of making a vaccine, the cost of transporting, you need a gold yeah. chain, uh, the training people need in order to administer. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge factor, not just in the manufacturing costs, but the yeah. whole... Uh, chain along the way to get it to people for sure and that's and and that's and i always i always bring this up it's like that's our tax dollar so to speak right that's our i mean not so to speak it is right like that's we're we're paying for that and and you know the one of the examples i always give is like conventional farming versus organic farming right it's like we've seen and of course they try and do all the studies and whatever but you know we know that just by practice like by by basic common sense Organic farming is going to produce a higher quality product at the end of the day, nutritionally, everything, blah, 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 than conventional farming. Now, this isn't to say necessarily that organic farming is at the height of everything, because there's things that go even beyond that and that are better. However, it's like the government subsidizes the conventional farming, the the farming of uh, genetically modified foods and all these sorts of things, most of which ends up being you know, corn syrup or so forth that ends up on, on people's table as a really, really, really low quality product. And it's like, we're paying to make ourselves sick. And then we're paying to treat ourselves with things that make us even more sick. And this is our tax dollar, you know? And 
we could be looking at things like homeopathy and and spending a hell of a lot less yeah to achieve the same results potentially better in the long run because we have less illnesses and so forth that go along with it and likewise with the farming end of it and we'd be saving money taxpayers are saving money but industry is losing money and who we're who's really controlling the purse strings of this industry that's right but when it, like there have been several studies done on the cost saving factors of homeopathy completely devoid of whether it's effective or not yeah but people who use homeopathy end up using less antibiotics mm-hmm. uh, end up hospital being hospitalized less and spent cost the system a lot less money like prince charles did a study that showed how much money the nhs the national health system in the uk would save if they funded homeopathy even more uh in terms of saving costs on antibiotics and it was significant enough that it really scared the industry and that was one of those also uh triggers for a stronger attack on homeopathy in the uk yeah i think it was uh and i don't know the exacts on this but i heard australia has been getting pretty intense with homeopathy have they have they moved to all out ban it or not quite yet there hasn't been a ban there is so they did a study that was funded by it's called the nhmrc i've got the acronym can i remember what it stands (laughs) for it's like the national health research council hm medical council (laughs) whatever (laughs) (laughs) um but there's a like a large campaign right now because they put out a study um, whose methodology was, I would almost say, fraudulent. is very mm-hmm. questionable. And they claim to have looked at 1,800 studies on homeopathy and then state that homeopathy doesn't work for any condition. Right. And once they looked at the study, they, it was huge. And the first part of the study doesn't show you what's really happened yeah. underneath. But basically, they looked at five studies because none of the other 1,800 studies matched their very random criteria that they chose as to what is considered a good study. Right. And they basically, you know, chose a number of participants that needed to be involved in order to say that that's a high quality study, um, which goes, which is completely outside of basic NHMRC guidelines as to what is considered a good study. Yeah. So it was a way of cherry picking right. five studies, one of which was pos- was a very good study that was positive for homeopathy. Um, but they failed to address that somehow in their study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, like, a lot, and they were also pitting different, like, they'd go, oh, you know, if two studies are positive and two studies are negative, that means it doesn't work. Like, they were, they would uh, balance each other out and it would be zero. Right. So, the methodology was very highly questionable. Right. Uh, the Homeopathic Association in Australia used a freedom of information request yeah. to get this to to get information yeah and they learned that there had been a previous study and they couldn't get the previous study but what they learned was that the previous study was buried that it was considered they saw comments about how high the quality of that study was mm-hmm. and it you know we there's a huge movement and uh, a petition out there to get them to publish the first That's study the, so even after a FOIA request that didn't work no. Wow. 
Or they didn't get it. They, they didn't, didn't get, get the, the first study. They got oh. the information that there was a study. They learned who made it. They learned that that person was fired and that they decided to hire someone who did not, dis they didn't disclose their affiliations. This person's a total skeptic yeah. and had uh, associations with skeptic organizations. Right. Um, so those affiliations weren't disclosed when he did his new study, yeah. uh, which really set out to prove that homeopathy didn't work. Yeah. So based on this really... Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible work. Study. The government of Australia started setting standards for homeopathy and was taking it off of uh, the public health care system. Wow. Um, so, but I mean, yeah. I mean, taking off the public health care system in the sense that they wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be free for right. people. But right. that would, and it couldn't be covered by insurance plans. Right. So that so, so it's so, still available. Right. Yeah. Um, so doctors like going to a homeopathic practitioner that would be the costly aspect of it because the, the remedy itself is yep. is inexpensive, but actually seeing yep. and getting the proper, that's where the cost would be for yep. some people, would be difficult. Out of pocket. Yeah. And here in Canada, in the States, people pay out of pocket yeah. for homeopathy. But it's like the first step. It feels like they're really trying to make it illegal in Australia now. And because there's been so much bad press, um, homeopaths now can't make a living and there's fewer and fewer homeopaths able to work. Yeah. Um, so the association has now uh, petitioned the ombudsman for a review of this decision mm -hmm. so, uh, because it's really based on faulty data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an, it's an interesting world out there when it comes yeah. to a lot of this stuff. And I, I think people don't realize. And I, again, going back to the importance of media and stuff, it's like people don't realize how much, you know, when we when we say we're a. A viewer and we notice this all the time ourselves too it's like when we say we're a viewer of, of, of alternative media it's like sometimes we forget to reflect at even as viewers of alternative media how much our perceptions of something are still built from the mainstream press so it's like we watch alternative press but sneaking in there is all these perceptions of mainstream press that are still often so many times so manipulated and, and I know you had gone through a bit of an experience too where um and it, you know again it was in the film in more detail but it was like i guess your comments and so forth were taken out of context and things you didn't say and and it, it sort of gets addressed in the film a little bit about what their response was but i'm curious to hear sort of yeah. the whole story um of what happened with the walrus can you can you go into some details about yeah, that yeah and i'd like to share that it wasn't just the walrus toronto life i had a similar experience but I was contacted by a journalist from the Walrus. And for those who don't know, Walrus is kind of like Harper's Magazine of Canada. So, I, you know, respectable. You, they have really, I think, really in-depth, good articles. I, lo I love their content. Mm -hmm. And the journalist said, listen, I am writing, uh, I can't remember, like a 7,000-word piece it's going to be re i'm looking at both sides i'm really open it's yeah. going to be uh really balanced and uh it was interesting like i and we were talking more about homeoprophylaxis rather than vaccination mm -hmm. and i talked about I, f I gave her the research i gave her the studies from brazil the studies from india the studies from cuba we talked about how that was being used she came to my home and um, she saw me with my kid and 
what was interesting is she painted me in the article as a hysterical helicopter mother and that these new age parents who won't let their kids play with plastic and are worried about the cleaning solutions they use and won't give their kids sugar and paints this like picture you know yeah um when i think i'm one of the least helicopter parents (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um free-range kids yeah Uh, (laughs) a whole other issue to talk about but then the walrus publishes this article which paints me as this hysterical crazy mother who um um was i gonna say who and that all the research i provided them had not been published in peer-reviewed journals Mm -hmm. i think that was a sticking point because i gave them the studies like photocopied from the peer-reviewed publication yeah and like I was in shock that they could say that so I called the editor and I said that's not possible and later he left me a message unfortunately um I didn't talk to him again but he left me a message saying well you know we've learned we we decided that they're not peer-reviewed journals because a peer-reviewed journal would never publish anything that wasn't a double-blind placebo-controlled trial and it just goes to show you how ignorant media the people who are telling us what to think and how to think about it Mm -hmm. how little they know about science there's so many different kinds of studies and there's so many different kinds of work that are published all the time yeah um and you know if you just rely on rcts you're limiting your data um and there are a lot of weaknesses with rcts mm-hmm. so you need a broad spectrum of different kinds of studies to understand what's going on in the world mm-hmm. and these guys don't have a clue right not to mention it's like you know and i and i, I have friends who have tried to to publish um perfectly good beautiful studies you know in uh, various journals and people are saying hey, you know what this is this is a great study this is amazing this could totally no problem this will get into a journal and then you know within you know days of, of, of reporting it or giving it to submitting it to the journal you get uh, you know sort of just a letter saying yeah no it's not gonna it's not gonna pass and no comments they never they never tell you yeah. why or what or this just no comments right yeah. and I think people don't realize how much the journals, are controlled and you know we've had we've had quote after quote after quote of people who've left journals who reused to run journals and they left journals and say yeah the majority of the science in those journals is fraudulent like the editor i think of the new england journal of medicine has spoken out and some other journals as well Um, and there's studies like where people put in fraudulent studies to get and they get through peer review very easily absolutely Uh, and then if like the journals themselves depend on pharmaceutical advertising Absolutely. dollars. So they're not going to publish something that's going to risk their income. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a bias out there. There are some good places like Cochrane Group will publish lots of great stuff. Um, Ellesmere, I think it's called, has mm-hmm. published some really great homeopathic studies. Um, but you know, we look in, in the film, I talked to uh, Dr. Jayesh Balari, who's a chemical engineer in yeah. India, and he talks about how they were able to publish their first study. And he says, but it acted like a vaccine. After we published our first study, no one would publish any of our work after right. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a huge problem with publishing bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they talk about the evidence base for anything, for homeopathy right. or Western science, and we talk about evidence-based medicine, right. We don't know how clean and accurate that evidence base is. A lot of that research is being run by pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. with 
or with people with other interests. Absolutely, and, and this is the, I, I, I like to say, and, and, and I'm, I'm hoping to make a film on this one day, um, that the world of science has become unscientific and people don't realize that that which defines our policy, what food is on our table, our healthcare system and so forth is in large part unscientific yeah. and for many, many reasons. And that a massive shift in the culture around science needs to take place if we want to bring it back to real science. Um, and that post-material science is this emerging uh, reality that it's just so important. And, and, and I think, you know, going back to it, it's like evidence-based medicine, right? We talk so much about how, you know, I got to see studies for that. And the, the average person is becoming more engaged in, I want to read a study. I want to see this, right? You never didn't hear that, you know, as much, say, 10 or 15 years ago. So you're hearing that more. But the, the, the layer that they don't understand is the fact that, how did this study get here? Who funded this study? Why is it that there is no evidence for, or not abundant evidence for homeopathy in these journals? Well, because they won't allow it. Yeah. <laughs> no? And there's also, like, you can read a study and it looks pretty legit and it looks mm -hmm. good, but you don't know the context in which it was made. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's studies that look at, um, you know, autism rates in different um, groups in different countries. And yet when you start to look into it and understand what kind of groups they're looking at and how when they look pre-1985 and post-1985, they're looking at two completely different um, populations but that and they did that on purpose to get the result they want but that's not like you wouldn't see that in the study you wouldn't know unless right. you lived in that in that country and understood how that medical system worked like there's so many behind the scene things that you wouldn't even get just from reading a study yeah. on the surface you can tell the story that they want to tell yeah yeah and that's yeah. the that's the challenge you know is that the amount of bias that's within these things is, is huge and I guess another question is going back to the walrus situation you know do you feel because you were you were initially asked to do this interview on the pretense that it was a balanced you know it's going to be i'm going to look into both sides and write this really long sort of piece you know and i've, I've been through a similar experience and that's why i'm asking this question is did you feel that the editor ultimately said hey look you're about to publish this but we can't allow this so you need to change this this and this do you feel that happened or i don't think that happened with the walrus piece like i found out later like she was very she knew what she was gonna write and right. had spoken to her but that did happen with toronto life mm. for sure um toronto life i guess ended up me we're doing a piece on autism and vaccines and had met with a bunch of my patients and all these patients guided them to me, so they wanted to speak to me. And supposedly what we were talking about was treating autism. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with vaccines, technically, what um, the article was gonna be about. And when they did the fact check, like the, the fact checker was really excited and she had all these questions about what we were doing. Like she seemed to believe in the kind of work I was doing. Mm -hmm. And she had questions about all kinds of studies and methodologies and all these things. And then the article came out, yeah. and the only thing that it said was, Ananda Moore didn't vaccinate her child and uses an unproven method. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. All the stuff they had asked about, all the discussion we had had. Um, I even felt the journalist was very open. Yeah. Um, none of it made it into the final article. And yeah, yeah those were absolutely editorial choices. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, um, it's like... It goes back to almost like, you know, here you have people that are trying to tell a story 
you know, and, and, I, and I've questioned this again in, in that own experience that I had. It, you know, the person was from high school, friend from high school, and she comes, she seems so interested in everything. And I, and I still to this day, because I've asked her outright multiple times, I, I don't know if she legitimately was interested and believed in everything. We had a great time together. We spent like two and a half hours going around the office saying all these, going through everything, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, it was almost like, I, I flat out asked her. I said, because, you know, uh, she ended up interviewing Michael Shermer. I don't know if I just knocked that <laughs> She ended up interviewing Michael Shermer for the other side of it, which she never told me was going to happen, you know, through the process. But, um, you know, I asked her outright. I'm like, why are you saying things that, one, I didn't say, and two, you've, you've switched around the context of things, you know, quite obviously so that it would fit a story. I'm like, I just, I don't, I, I'm not upset. I just want to know if it was you or your editor completely ignored and kind of went on to this whole thing. And I'm like, you know, it, it was an email from her publication and who knows if they have access to that and they don't want to kick the editor in the, in the butt. But it's like, I honestly feel like these people are, you know, in essence, they feel they have a responsibility and they control. So it's like, you're not only reading media and that's controlled by whatever corporation is, you know, but you're also through the bias of the editor you know, who wants it. So it's like, really, what choices are we really getting in terms of media, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know? I'm, I'm at the point where I don't know what to believe and unless I have a personal experience and I've done the research myself, yeah, I don't believe stuff anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, really frustrating. Yeah. I feel really disempowered. Yeah, it's really um, tough. And and again, it's like, you know, we just we just had a uh, an interview. We went down to... Uh, uh, I didn't go. It was a couple of our journalists went down and, and interviewed someone who had been a, a child sex slave when she was like six years old and went through this whole experience. And I'm just thinking, like, if they didn't go directly to, like, meet with this person, feel their authenticity and hear the whole story and all this sort of stuff, it's like, how would you know in this day and age with how much we've been sort of deceived and with how much, like, anytime it's almost like anytime something comes out, we're itching to find a way to, like, pull it apart and find out why it's not true. And it's like, where did that come from? Where did that culture come from of instead of seeing a fellow human and being like, okay, that's an interesting story. You know, I'm, I'm curious to kind of go through this journey with you and explore it. And we're like happy with each other and like love each other. Instead, we're, we're, we assume that every single human on this planet is somehow trying to take us for a ride. And that is the goal of every single human. <laughs> I, I've actually been wanting to write an article on what I'm terming a, cultural, a culture of skepticism. Yeah. Because that's what's being imbued. It's like, it's this idea that you can't believe anything until it's been right. proven to you in a material manner. Right. Um, even if you've seen it, even if you've experienced it, it can't be true. Right. So you have to doubt everything you've ever heard. And I think that's when we're talking about cultural differences, mm -hmm. that's the difference with India. Yes. Is they're willing to accept and try. Yes. And then if it doesn't work. And there, there's some incredible scientists in India. There's they're very intelligent like we're not i think people go oh it's a developing country yeah, we're no. educated that there's and i think we, totally that's one of the things true. we have to forget about but yeah. they're willing to accept try figure it out and then if it doesn't work they may discount it or look yeah. at why it didn't work versus here where you have to go oh can't work mm -hmm. and you, you it's like uh guilty until proven innocent right it's the opposite absolutely effect. yeah it's sort of like, um, 
you know, a, a great scientist, and this is at least from, from my experience and research, is it's like a great scientist included within themselves and their understanding and their exploration of the world, not only the material, but the post-material, the, the something outside of themselves. They, they followed intuition and sense and gut feelings and different things that weren't based on emotion, as materialists will always say. It's like, it's all just emotion. It's like, no, these people had a legitimate, like, profound experience that they felt. And we've educated that out of people so much so that you actually can't understand or ever believe or ever know something. Like how many things do we know commonsensically or intuitively? We know, but we like, but we can't do anything about it until there's a study. <laughs> it's like, you already know it. You already know it to be true. And, and you said earlier that India has this sort of magical feel, right? And it's probably in part because they, they, their sense of spirituality, their sense of, of self, their sense of exploring who we truly are is brought into the everyday life mm -hmm. in a non-religious, say, form uh, more on average than here in the West where it's either you're either like a religious going, God-fearing type individual in, in a lot of cases or you're a material atheist science and that's it. And there's no in between. Though I do want to say a lot of what we see in the media, I think, doesn't represent the mm. true population. True, absolutely. And what people are thinking and feeling. We see these representations that tell us that this is what people think. And I don't know if you've heard the term astroturfing. Oh, yes. Um, yes. But, you know, I think there are these manufactured grassroots movements that are not real. And they're supposedly being run by people in our communities who are concerned and, yeah. in fact, it's all been painted that way. Yeah. I think people are a lot more open to to different ways of looking at the world than the media's painting. Absolutely. Um, and it's like they're working hard to try and create this picture of like don't don't believe, don't do this, don't do that. Meanwhile, it's like people are questioning things more than they ever have. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 exciting. Mm -hmm. It's exciting that that's happening. For sure. You know. So, where at this point can people see the film okay so right now um it's played at a bunch of film festivals we're waiting to hear back from a few more festivals don't like this film it's too controversial for them mm -hmm. um but uh fingers crossed and uh right now we're going through community screening process mm -hmm. so if people want to watch the film they can um go to the website magicpillsmovie.com they can go to the host of screening link um, and there's videos there. It explains what the process is, but you can host a screening in your community. And mm -hmm. it can be super simple. Like you can invite a bunch of friends over for dinner, pop a DVD in, and have yeah. like this little home Tupperware party screening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or you can, people are renting theaters and having a full cinematic experience and inviting the whole community yep. to watch. So there's, you know, different levels of doing that. Um, and I'm trying to spread it that way right now because I want people to talk about the film. I don't, you know, I think the internet is shutting us down mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and we need to find alternative ways of spreading the word. Yeah. So I want people to, I want it to go from person to person to person. So yeah. you show 10 friends your film, the film, they get excited. They show 10 friends the film. And yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, but hopefully in t 2019, it should be available on DVD and streaming. But um, yeah, I want to bring community together to watch yep. it with people. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, it, and it works because, I mean, after I watched it, you know, I came in here in the office the next day and I was like, oh, my God, 
there's so many things like because it <laughs> again when you see when it comes together and you're like like Every question you ever have about homeopathy, first off, was pretty well answered throughout the, the film and the various real-life cases that kind of explored it. But not only that, you start to realize, like, this is really, really undeniably effective. And it's difficult to just sort of turn your back on that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, you're almost like, you know, I've I've used homeopathy before, but I I have this you know, this greater sense of, you know, the next time I do get anything, which, you know, it, it happens from time to time. It's like, I'm, I'm, that may be one of the first things I think about. I mean, usually what I do is I fast, I eat fruits and vegetables, right? And, but I'm like, if anything ever really comes on, like, like, I'm going here, you know what I mean? Whereas I didn't think that way in the past, because it was more so like, I've done it, I've tried it, I've seen it be effective in certain things, but it wasn't like a number one thought. And you don't think of, like, a lot of people just think of it for colds and sprained ankle and small right. things like Arnica that. Arnica and, like, you yeah. know, just, you know, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Where, where you know, and I, I think I think we've been silenced. People are scared. My community's scared with this film. Yeah. They don't want to draw attention to cancer treatment, mm-hmm. to disease prevention, to AIDS, because they think that's going to cause the... Uh, you know, the powers that be to want to shut us down yeah. even faster mm-hmm. uh, because it becomes a greater threat to the um, pharmaceutical, the medical pharmaceutical system. Yeah. So they're scared. They, a lot of them don't want this film out there. Yeah. But my perspective is if people think it's only good for colds and flus, when it disappears, no one's going to care. Yeah. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to know what it is. They're not going to care. Mm-hmm. because it has no major impact on their life. But when they realize how significant homeopathy can be and I think how life-saving mm-hmm. it can be, um, it totally changes the picture around. Absolutely. And, and I, I do believe that, you know, we're in a time where information is coming out. People are open. People want to hear things. And consciousness is a powerful thing. And, you know, we always are approaching here is there is no battle going on because we're, we're waking up to a reality that everybody deeply kind of sort of wants to see change, right? We want to see that. And if you believe and you really anchor in that there's this massive battle and we got to fight and we got to do all this, we gotta, there's an enemy and we got to do that, then you create more of that fight, right? Like we, we join the, the lashes and the battles. Whereas if we go, hey, look, yes, I can observe that they don't want this information to come out, but it's going to come out and we're doing it anyway. And they can go cry in the corner and say what they want to say. <laughs> But this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you take that approach and you anchor in that approach, no one's shutting anything down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you're giving people power. You're giving exactly. people uh, perspectives. Exactly. So they can look at it, the same issue in a different way. For sure. It's it's true empowerment versus believing you're empowered by getting really angry. Yeah. You know? like I, I try to make a balanced film. I try to show both sides yeah. of the story. And I've had skeptics come to the film and feel that they were well pr- represented. Yeah. And yeah, they're going, oh, I didn't know this. Maybe, maybe I should look at it. For sure. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I absolutely felt that too. I was like, you know, you, you interviewed people that very much gave the viewer uh, a different side to it, a different approach. Um, but I, I think importantly, it was done in a way that allows people to say, okay, you know what, if I go, now that I've heard this, if I go and I, the first thing I might do is I might verify what she talked about in the Cuba and the Brazil and, and India thing and really look at these things. And you have a chance to actually explore for yourself as opposed to like, okay, I give you one side of the story or I'm just smashing it down the whole time. And it's like, 
nobody you didn't make anybody look bad in the film or good or anything it's they speak for themselves if 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 they say something and then four scenes later it's proven incorrect it happened by real <laughs> happenstance do you know what i mean not all right let's find a way to make you know what i'm saying so i think it's important and you know yeah. i commend you on doing that because it's a you know it's an important way to go about it yeah so i thought so i i, I wanted to engage people of every Mm-hmm. you know perspective rather sure. than go oh you guys are morons <laughs> yeah because <laughs> that's what they do to us for sure and and we know that you know taking that route doesn't really change a whole lot of things right when you when you come from an extreme you're asking for there to be the extreme yeah. to fight you back yeah you know and so when we come from hey this is the information it's like all right well i can't not look at this <laughs> you know that's why i asked about the the one guy i think you said his name was joe schwartz yeah I, you know, I asked it because it's almost like I, I would suspect, given what's been presented in the film and given what he was saying, that he would have no choice but to look into these things because they're pretty damn obvious that there's yeah. something there. But he'll find something. Like, he will look yeah. at every study and go, oh, you know, this one little thing is missing or, you know, it was a retrospective study. or yeah. you know, They'll find a reason to not. But what about believe. like the Cuba examples? Like, what can he find in that? You would like the if people you, aren't if sick. If you go like... online, you know what they did with Cuba is they um, people started publishing the study with false graphs and numbers that weren't accurate, and then uh, then dissing the study and saying, "Well, this this isn't like look at the numbers. There's no way like what they're saying is in fact backed up by, by their data." And what they did was recreate the graphs and change the numbers. Oh, my Jesus. And yeah. so that's the kind of stuff that's going on. Yeah. And you can find those online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's again, I, the film is, I would watch the film if you're watching this and, you know, go check it out because it's, it gives you a, a really good, like, oh, it's a wake up call if you haven't sort of seen this and, and gone through it. And it's, at the same time, it's, you get to kind of see and feel what, people who are trailblazing like yourself like it what you kind of go through on some of the backlash and the media spinning things and stuff and it also gives you a sense of empathy for anybody who's had the media spin their words it allows you to think like mm. might that have been spun might that have been you know which is an important thing when we're again thinking critically and feeling things out right yeah. so yeah so you know if people want to watch a film magicpillsmovie.com yep. and we're we want to build a grassroots movement and part of that that, like, that process is through our mailing list yeah so if people are interested they want to become active help mm-hmm. with petitions and that sort of thing we send out all that information through our mailing list and you can sign on at the on the website cool um, yeah awesome and what's so what would you like the last thought the last <laughs> like i want people to know and, and understand this or question this about homeopathy what's what's your Oh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the all-encompassing quote, but what should people question? What's your biggest takeaway from the film, even like that you found was fascinating? You know, I went into this very open-minded and willing to find out that homeopathy didn't work. Mm-hmm. But I met person after person after person. I got free access to the Banerjee Clinic. I sat in line and talked to people. I went in. People have long-term improvements and... Um, with serious illnesses. With serious, serious illness. Yeah. Um, I would quite... And the other big takeaway for me was questioning what the media is presenting to us in mm-hmm. a serious manner. 
um, because even really well-educated, deep-thinking individuals um, don't realize how much of the media out there is is uh, biased and showing a one-sided perspective. Mm-hmm. So, especially when it's coming from like the New York Times, yeah. or Harper's, <laughs> or these publications that we really respect. There's yeah. issues there too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, well, thank you so much for coming in, doing this, and talking about this stuff. And you know, it's fun. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs>